One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. Welcome to the Intercooler podcast. Hello everybody, this is episode 85 of the Intercooler podcast. I'm Dan Prosser, here as ever with Andrew Frankel. Now Andrew, this is a very special episode of the Intercooler podcast for two reasons. The first is that the podcast now has a sponsor. Yay! Um, so I'd, I'd like to welcome to the Intercooler family, JBR Capital. Yeah, um, it's great news for us. Um, JBR Capital, for people who don't know them, um, they provide uh, specialist um, finance for people who have supercars, classic cars, interesting cars. Um, not only do they do that, um, what I think particularly drew us to them is they don't do anything else. Okay, it's not just one of the things that they do. They are that's all they're in business to do. Um, and they're a great bunch of petrol heads. Um, we just got talking and we want to do stuff with them and vice versa and this sponsoring this podcast just seemed to be the most um interesting and effective way of doing that so uh yeah we are delighted um because this podcast as you say has been going for 85 episodes and it's just been um you and me and now that we have um yet another like-minded partner on board and that's the thing about this is we we just don't partner up with people because we can we partner up with people because we think they fit and if you look at the other people that we partner with on the app um you know people like british automobile racing club um footman james uh, gold track um you know these are all very much like-minded individuals um and to their number we can now add jbi capital and and their, their job is to um you know help us continue to do this podcast hopefully do different things with it as indeed we're going to do today um and yeah it's just great to have them on board and um yeah it's um you know hopefully it's the start of a, of a, of a new chapter for this podcast yeah welcome jbr capital um, and it's important to say the company's not just geared around very high-end very expensive cars the the smallest amount it'll lend is twenty five thousand. the average is eighty thousand um, pounds it's no surprise really but the 
the the manufacturer whose cars um, it funds most often it's Porsche. Um, who, who could have guessed? But it doesn't that? have to be a Porsche. Um, so we yeah we're very pleased to have them on board. You'll find um, JBR Capital on Instagram at JBR Capital and online jbrcapital.com. Um, I'll put the links in the description of this podcast as well. Their motto, if you like, is fund your passion, which says it all really. They get it. They are, they are like us. Um, so if you're looking to fund your next car purchase, just go and check out JBR Capital. Okay, good. Let's move it on then. To mark the start of our partnership with JBR Capital, this episode of the podcast, we're talking about supercars. We're going to discuss a couple of supercars that we've been driving recently, um, and we're going to talk about supercar ownership as well. Andrew, I know you've owned a handful of exotic cars over the years. I haven't. Um, But to give this episode of the podcast some actual credibility, we've roped in a guest, um, a friend of ours, also our business partner uh, in the intercooler, um, a guy who has owned more sports and supercars than most car journalists will ever drive. Um, His name is RSDriver00 on social media, if you want to go and find him. Uh, We also call him Richard, because that's his real name. Um, Richard, welcome to the podcast. Am I allowed to call that wonderful lineup of cars you've got at home a collection? (laughs) Hi, Dan, Andrew. Um, I guess it is a collection. I I, I tend not to call it that just because I buy cars I like to drive, and collection just sounds a little (laughs) pompous or a a little formal, but it's hard to deny that's what it is, I guess. What's the what's the distinction, um, Andrew, between a collection and a whatever else we could call it? It's it's the reason you get them. Collectors buy cars to collect. Um, drivers buy cars to drive. Um, and Richard, as you know, um, as well as me, is is in the business of of, of driving his cars. Um, and the fact that when you go to his um, so I'm talking about you, the third person. I'm sorry, Richard. You're, you're on this call. I'm just so used just to talking to Dan. <laughs> Um, but when we go to your sheds and, you can, and everything's on a trickle charger and everything's good to go and there's always a story about whatever particular car it is has done last. I mean, that's, you know, to me, I mean, I, I don't have a problem with people who stick cars in sheds and just use them to look at them. But to me, that's not what a car is for. You know, if you want to have something to look at, buy a bit of art and hang it on your wall. Um, and it's it, it's great that these things are just... And, and Richard, you really do use them, don't you? You don't, you know, you don't just sort of you know, wander around the block in them, you know, twice a year on a, on, a, on a sunny day just to keep the battery charged up. Um, you go everywhere in them, don't you? I, I do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and actually, and I know you're going to criticise me for some of the things I've sold over the years. <laughs> Only one. <laughs> Only one. If, if I don't drive them, I tend to sell them because if it's got garage space or driveway space, it's, it's going to be used. And, and that, obviously, I, I enjoy driving. I always have. In a way, it doesn't even matter what it is. I even get some uh, vague satisfaction from driving the family RV around the country. Um, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting that, isn't it? There is something, and I think that the, the, you know, I, I, I did a story for Autocar a while back about I went and did a sort of supercar shoot, but in the Dacia Sandero, for exactly these reasons, just to see how much of the joy of driving was simply the process of conducting a car. And then how much, you know, addition on top of that is, you know, from have a car which, you know, is fast and handles well and everything else. And and what I concluded is that so long as the car isn't actively unpleasant in any particular regard, um, you can have fun in anything. You've just got to be in the right environment and the right frame of mind. Um, and, and that's great. Um, 
Can I, can I ask you, Richard, is there anything that you really regretted selling? Is there anything, is there one car you think, I just don't know why I got rid of that? I was, I was going to say, I never regret anything because what's the point? Yeah. And just move on. On the other hand, yes, there's quite a few cars. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, actually, in quite a few cases, I bought them back, sometimes the exact same car. Uh, and, and I go through a very logical process, I think, before I buy and before I sell, but it sometimes lets me down. So there's several, I think, um, but I currently own the um, E46 M3 CSL. I owned one almost from new for quite uh, seven, eight years, sold it, missed it, bought another one. Uh, and my CLK Black, um, Mercedes, I sold it to a friend and when he sold it, I couldn't resist buying it back. And I've driven it more, I think, since I bought it back. So it, it, the great thing about most cars, you can always find another one if you do make a mistake in selling it. Right, I just want to jump in um, and we'll, I've got a few questions for, for Richard myself, but before we get into them, I just want to talk a little bit about your current collection of cars um, and just to either impress or disturb you. I just want to see if I can remember every car in your fleet at the moment. So we've poked around your cars a couple of times. Um, but I reckon I can remember all of them. There are quite a few, uh, but I'm going to start with the the Porsche shed. Uh, so you've got a 356, you've got a 996 GT3 RS, you've got a 997 GT3 RS 4 litre, you've got a Carrera GT, you've got a 911R, you've got a 991 GT3 RS, which I think you share with a friend. Uh, you've also got a McLaren 675LT, and you've got a Jaguar E-Type with some Eagle bits. Um, and there's one missing from that shed that I can't remember. I'll come back to that one. You've recently replaced the Vanquish convertible with an Aston, with a V8 Vantage, a manual, which I think is a good move. Um, you've got a Jaguar XE uh, Project 8, You've also got, you've mentioned the E30 M, sorry, the E46 M3 CSL. You've got an E30 M3. You've got the CLK 63 Black. You've got an NSX R. You have, hmm, what am I missing? You've driven it. And the, the CS, the 3.2 Club Sport. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, the um, M635, which I don't think was here when you were here. Ah, of course. Yeah, I've not seen that one yet. Yeah, and, that, and the 993. That's right. And then you've got a couple of other bits as well. You've got a, a GI Aris and a Transporter and a Tesla and so yeah, on. Yeah, I'm glad you didn't miss out the VW Transporter because that's a great car. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most important one. Uh, okay, I, I got most of them. That wasn't bad. But the, the point is, I just wanted to demonstrate to people listening that your collection is full of just interesting stuff. You haven't just tried to line up all the latest and greatest, fastest, newest supercars. That's not really what you're into. Um, I think what, you're, what the cars you have, it, it demonstrates a sort of a level of taste and, you know, appreciation for the driving experience. And you've got lots and lots of different driving experiences in there. You've got classics, you've got very modern cars, and you've got everything in between. Um, Roughly, and I think you keep a, a close track of this sort of thing, roughly, how many of this sort of car have you owned over the years? In you know, being a sort of numbers guy, in total, including a few company cars, along the way, 111. <laughs> that includes race cars as well. 
Wow, roughly 111, um, <laughs> more precisely. Um, okay, well, let's talk about the, the sort of appeal of having a... It's a significant collection of cars. It's not the biggest. Um, rather than sort of two or three that you really love, do you just enjoy being able to dip in and out and having lots of different experiences in your garage? Yeah, the, 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 there's a sort of a sort of logic in, in, in what I own. I mean, the theory is I try and own something that has a unique experience or a unique aspect to it so i don't want to have a load of cars that do the same thing of course there is quite a lot of overlap as 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 you can tell from the list but that's sort of the logic the other thing is it often takes me quite a bit of time to appreciate a car so i I don't very often buy new cars actually Um, i tend to get them a few years after or even many years after they came out either because in many cases i couldn't afford them when they came out um or they just didn't somehow appeal and then something clicks uh, and you see it, read about it. One of you guys writes something, whatever it might be, and, uh, and I end up buying it. But it is absolutely about something that I love. I like an aspect of it. Could be a design aspect, could be an engineering aspect, but absolutely it's got to be good to drive. And one of the pleasures actually for, for me is um, sharing the cars with friends, uh, and and getting them out and taking them on the road. Yeah, well, we'll talk about that in a moment because we did do that recently. Um, Andrew, I know you've been gagging to ask about one car in particular. Yes, could you tell us why you sold your LFA, please? This is something that I have... <laughs> so Richard had a Lexus LFA, and if I had an LFA... Um... I, I, yeah, um, uh, I, I, I guess it's probably down to what you're talking about, but about cars have to be have to have a purpose and, and it's not enough to and i have you know you know the number of cars i've owned pales into insignificance in both quality and quantity compared to yours but even i have owned cars whose role in my life becomes one of just making me feel guilty about not using them and i see them there in the shed i can remember once i had a 993 carrera rs beautiful car 95 car and i remember getting into it in one spring and finding the clock was still set to British summertime um, and thinking, well, that's, that's not what this car should be for. So, um, so I'm, yeah, I, I'm, I don't know, but you, you did have an LFA, which is, is to me one of the, the all-time great cars, um, and you don't anymore. Yeah, you make me feel quite bad now, actually. <laughs> I have to say, that is the car. When I sold it, I got the most flack from my mates of any car I've ever sold and it and it is a wonderful engineering feat and uh, certainly if I showed it to anybody and you'd, it's a brilliant thing to show off and you know the carbon fibre bonnet stay and just it was just a wonderful thing but I used to walk past it and I'd drive something else and it, partly that the sort of journeys it's good for long well, GT transcontinental journeys it was quite rare for, and you knew that if something went wrong, you'd never find anybody local to replace it. If you're out in a 911, something drops off, there'll always be somebody somewhere who can help you put it back together. And I just, I loved it for what it was, but I didn't love it for driving. And I got a call from somebody who knew I had it, and it was a sort of maybe an offer I couldn't refuse, really. And when I really sat down and thought about it, didn't drive it enough. Fair enough. Well, that, that, that's, that's the reason, isn't it, for selling things? If you don't drive it enough, you know, sell it to someone who will. Can I ask, in a similar, similar vein, um, Ford GT. Now, I, I borrowed your Ford GT for a magazine photo shoot a few years ago. 
Um, special thing, but so why did that not stay? Um, just because, again, it wasn't being used. I have to be a bit careful with that one. I, I, uh, I was very privileged to get one because you had to go through the sort of vetting process and goodness knows how I, how I passed it. But um, I'd had some association with the, the race team in Le Mans and I loved the fact that it was literally a Le Mans car for the road, as, as you know. So it was a privilege to get it and, I, and it's one of the new cars I bought. I went out to the factory in Toronto to see it on the line and it, it was really special for that. And actually, I, I loved it. I, I did a thousand miles in it half of that on track and, and and I really enjoyed it but the ownership experience wasn't brilliant Ford I, I love Fords I've had Fords over the years but I worried that a few years down the road it'd be hard to get parts and the values I, I don't buy cars as investments but I do like to think about capital protection and there's no Ford GTs, of, even the previous gen, if you look at them, most of them have delivery miles. And I just thought, if I'm going to use it, I'm going to get killed on it. And I'm just not sure in how it's going to be for the long term. So I enjoyed it, had two years of it um, and sold it. Here you go. This is the, the sort of insight you only get from someone who actually buys and sells these cars and uses them can and I, drives them. In. Can, I, can, I, can I also ask you, Richard, that you know, we've been through the list of cars that you have and spoken about one or two that you no longer have. For somebody who has, you know, if we can put them under the sort of broad umbrella term of supercars, um, there's one name that isn't in there. And it is the, it is the most blue-blooded super manu- supercar manufacturer of them all. You don't own a Ferrari. Have you owned Ferraris? Is there something about Ferraris which you know, keeps you away or, or, or what is it? Uh, I've owned a few, actually. Um, my favourite, I had a 550. Um, it was of that era, though, when you started it, you, you smiled when it started, and you just waited to see which warning light came on. <laughs> it only once let us down, actually, um, and it turned out to be a very, very minor thing. Luckily, it, was, it let us down in Italy, so we, we found somebody who could mend it. Um, probably my favourite is the 599 GTO, which I owned. Wow. Had the privilege to drive that to Marinello and take it around Fiorano. Um, and I have to say, next to the F12s that were there, I thought it was he- head and shoulders above. I've, I've owned a, a few other mid-engine V8 ones. I, I think, um, for me, they're, they're loud in every sense, Ferraris. They're very visible and they're very loud on the road. And the modern ones, I always end up driving them and thinking, I prefer to have a 911. And the ownership experience of you know, just trying to get hold of the modern ones is really difficult. And I really don't want to buy half a dozen regular Ferraris in order to get the special one. Mm, I wanted to ask about that, actually. Is, are you just not interested in being part of that game? No. No, it, it, it's, it's too much hassle. And uh, I think if I... I'd rather pay a premium for if there's a car I really want. I don't like one doesn't like paying a premium, but that's the market. I'd rather buy that one car and pay the premium than own a bunch I didn't really want to have uh, in yeah. in order to get that special one. But uh, I really admire Ferraris for what they are, and I and I friends have them, and and I'm privileged to drive them. I always enjoy the drive, but just uh, not not enough to replace because I'm into absolutely into now one in one out. I didn't used to be because it's a bit more spare. I had a storage place I could use. And, but now it's like if I'm replacing something, something else has got to go. 
or, or I've got to be able to squeeze a few more into the same space, which I have done so far. So it's not, not that rigid. <laughs> um, so how, how do you use your cars then? I mean, how many track days do you think you do in a, in a typical year, not in a COVID year? How many driving holidays do you manage to squeeze in, that sort of thing? I, I try and do all the destination Nürburgring days. So that's, that's three, four, five days on track. Uh, and obviously our friends Gold Track do some brilliant days, particularly Silverstone. So I probably get to Silverstone similar number of times a year, and then the odd other one or two if I can if I can squeeze it in. So I, I love track days. I've done a bit of racing, not not to Andrew's standard, I think it's fair to say, but uh, but I do enjoy a, a bit of racing. I met you for the first time at a racetrack. We were both freezing to death in Anglesey, and you were. I, I was always impressed with the fact that quite clearly you could have raced anything that was there, and you were, you were in a Citroen C1. <laughs> <laughs> which I just thought was beautifully understated. Um, and we were doing it for, um, well, for Mission Motorsports. Um, and I can't remember how long ago it was. It must have been three or four years ago, I guess. Um, but yeah, you were up there, you were up there racing and it was a, it was a cold, but a, but, a, but a good weekend. Yeah, but it doesn't really matter almost what you're racing. Particularly, it, I've done a few of the 24-hour C1s, one make series. So it's about, again, the driving, not, not the car. Um, but so I, like, I do enjoy track days, and it's as much the people you do it with. I mean, our Thruxton track day was great fun. We had a few few friends there, and it's a great circuit, but to me it's always about who you're with. And then road, road trips, um, I have a good group of, of friends, and, and we'll do half a dozen if we can, if not a little bit more. It could be a long weekend. Go down to the Ardennes for a long weekend is a fantastic trip, or, or a bit longer. This year we did Spain. I did Spain for the first time. And you really can get the cars out. And we share our cars quite often. Properly insured, obviously. But, but we share them, which really adds to, um, adds to the fun. And that, for me, actually, I'll drive them around locally. And, and I will do on a Sunday morning. Dawn Raid on a Sunday morning is, is always great fun. But those long trips, something special about getting off the train on, into France and, and, and really being able to stretch the legs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Richard is generous with his cars, and so me and Andrew, we went over to his place um, a couple of weeks ago, actually to have a meeting about the intercooler, a very positive meeting about the intercooler, there'll be some news soon. Um, but of course, we couldn't go all that way and not have a blast in a handful of cars. Uh, Andrew, do you want to pick up the story? Do you, want to, do you want to tell the listeners which cars we chose? Yeah, I mean, th- this basically comes down to, and talk about first world problems, me spending years whinging about never having never having driven a Carrera GT and it just so happens that uh, uh, Richard not only has one but is for some reason best known to Richard um, prepared to make it available to idiots like us Um, and so and then we just kind of decided what else we were going to take along there three of us so we thought might as well take three cars and as is so often the case you just end up in Porsches don't you because they work uh, and also, um, I won't call it a collection. Richard's accumulation of Porsches is so extensive, you can actually choose three completely different Porsches. Um, so one was obviously um, the Carrera GT. And at the other end of it, uh, we took his very well used, but still somehow, you know, rattle-free, beautifully built um, Club Sport 911. Um, and in the middle, well, we just, you know, he's got a four litre, you know, 997 GT3 RS. So we thought we might as well take that as well. So we just went off for this very sort of impromptu and formal, quick sort of run around um, the roads in these cars. Um, 
we we got a bit wet. Well, I got a bit wet because I was in the Crow GT when it's uh, when the heavens opened, and we decided we weren't going to take the roof with us. Um, but it, it was just it was just a it was a wonderful thing to do. But it was just it was very interesting to me to see how different those cars is, and yet how the same they are too, and how they they st- they, they they still all feel like Porsches despite being so different. Um, and also, what a, what a thing a Carrera GT is. <laughs> So can yeah, I take so, this opportunity to thank Richard in public for finally allowing me to tick that box? So Richard, I'm, I'm curious, do you have a favourite car and is it the Carrera GT? Yeah, I, I usually answer that question with, like, people ask you, do you have a favourite child? You'd never admit it, would you? But you do. <laughs> My daughter, who you know, always thinks it's her. She just tells people, I don't, won't tell her the others, but... Um, not really, because again, it's horses for courses, although the Carrera GT is the one I've owned the longest. Uh, I've owned it since 2008. I don't ever see that one going uh, at all. And, it, and it, in a way, uh, you know, the cars you describe are the sum up almost the ethos of, of why I own these, because they are all different. And of course, the thing about Porsches is, yes, if you know what they are, they're something. I mean, some people know that the club sport is one of 53. Most people just think it's an old white Porsche with silly red wheels and they don't take a second look at it. And even the Carrera GT, and I said to somebody once, well, it's not flashy, and they sort of raised their eyebrows. The second time I drove that car, I went to fill it out with petrol. A bloke came running up to me in the, in the, gas, in the petrol station and said to me, is that the new Boxster? <laughs> <laughs> I hope you said yes. <laughs> but I said, well, but... That's what I like about it. As you say, it's just a Porsche. It's got the 996 dashboard pretty much, hasn't it? And, and, and somebody thought it was a Boxster. So uh, you're not, not, not necessarily too conspicuous in it. So let me paint a picture. I'm in the GT3 RS 4 litre. I'd, ne- I'd never driven any of these three cars, so it was a big day for me. I'm in the, the 4 litre, back of the lineup. Um, Richard's tearing off ahead in the club sport. Actually, frightening speed. Really getting a move on in that thing. Um, it's, it's one of those weird days where the sun is shining, but it's, it's raining on, on and off, and the sun is low. So visibility is poor, and we're on a dual carriageway. Um, Andrew's in front of me in the Carrera GT, uh, and it starts raining quite hard. He's got the roof off. I'm thinking, I'm glad I'm in the four-litre, right up until I hit some standing water on the Michelin Cup 2 tyres, and the whole thing squirms underneath me, and I think, ooh, I'm not sure about this. Um, but the whole time I was just thinking, I know that right now Andrew's driving a Carrera GT for the first time and he's going to be just having the best fun. Um, so, Andrew, just take a couple of minutes just to sort of describe that car to us. It was so much about it is, is so very familiar. Uh, and that's, I think, what I, what, what, I, what, what I really appreciated because it is, it is just a car, if you've driven any kind of old Porsche at all, um, or Porsche from that era. It is just something you can get in and drive. The only thing you have to be mindful of um, is the clutch, particularly when you're sort of pulling away from an uphill junction. Uh, but other than that, um, you know, it's it's totally accessible. Uh, it's not intimidating. Um, and yet, when you start to drive it a little bit quickly, and we couldn't drive super super fast because um, you know the conditions didn't allow it. Um, but we are, I think, on another date, going to you know take some of them up to um, some proper roads, um, maybe Wales, or whatever, and, and and we'll come back and talk about that trip as and when it happens. But um, I just found it was just so rewarding and engaging, and more than anything, else, what really surprised me about it 
is just how fast it fell. Because I guess in the intervening years, uh, we've driven so much fast stuff, haven't we, these days. You can get into some cars which, you know, which are, we would regard as quite normal cars, which by the standards of even 10 years ago uh, would be classified as being outrageously fast. And yet the Carrera GT, with that extraordinary engine, that engine that was created for Le Mans, um, it just has this relentless quality to it because it's large and it's naturally aspirated and it just goes and goes and goes. Um, and yeah, it's just one of those experiences that you, you are aware at the same time of being how lucky you are to have it and and how actually you just want to have a longer, better, faster, you know, uh, more even more involving experience into it because it's one of those cars that, although it's very familiar when you get in and drive it, um, the more you drive it, the more you feel actually this is a car that's really going to reward um, a bit of wheel time and I'm not just saying that so I can drive it again it's just um, it is just one of those cars that you really want to learn you want to get to know so many cars these days you get in them and you think well it's, it's these are really cool cars but you know you kind of feel they wear their hearts on their sleeves with the Carrera GT I think if you the more you drove it I don't think maybe Richard this is why you never, you never sold it you know the more you find out about it I don't think it's a car that will ever be it will ever feel normal in any way. Uh, it was wonderful. No, that's, that's lovely to hear you talk about it that way. I, I, I agree with you. I mean, it's, I've just checked, it's just under 1,400 kilos. Yeah. And 600 horsepower, which is nothing compared to sort of other cars today. Not even that much torque. It's like 430-odd of torque. But there doesn't seem to be any sort of losses in the system anywhere, do they? And And it just... All that power uses it to go forward. Um, now, I I, I, uh, I, I I didn't choose great roads, and it, as you say, the weather wasn't good, and we ran out of time, and all, all, all of that. So we will we will go out again. You do need time in that car, and actually, one of the best trips I've had in it is um, there are a couple of friends of mine also own uh, own Crow GTs, and we we went down to actually we went down to Germany to near the Ring. We didn't take them on the Ring, although the other two have been on before but the roads around there are fantastic and just the drive down and the roads were they're smooth and uh relatively empty and it was absolutely brilliant on that uh on yeah. that trip and in fact one of the cars i mentioned to you so a friend of mine has fitted the kw suspension and uh i think we're, we're going to do a back-to-back test at some time for you on 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 that i don't think it needs it he absolutely thinks it's better so uh, and he's a better driver than me so i suspect he's right but uh, it, it is a great car. As you say, is you can use it. And again, I like that about Porsches. You can use it. And you know, people do ask, well, you can use it, but aren't you scared to park it? And you have to recognize, you know, it's worth more money than it was when I bought it and so on. But again, I think if you've got a car, if you worry about it like that, you can't use it. And if I'm out and about and it's parked and it's in the street and it's got a tracker, and you know, I've never had an issue. Um, I had a fairly short go in it, so I definitely need another go at some point. But the, I mean, the engine is just extraordinary in that thing—a gorgeous engine. Um, yeah, the, I'd heard so much about the tricky clutch. Um, actually, all you have to do is just pull away without using any throttle. Um, I had a couple of tricky uphill junctions that really had me worried. I was thinking I might have to go downhill here rather than up. <laughs> I might, you know, just call you and get you to come and drive it for me. But. I, I mean, it, it sort of demands your attention, but it's fine, really. Um, it's, but it's, like, it's one of those things. It's like having a car with really bad brakes. As long as you know it's got really bad brakes, that's more than half a battle because you just leave bigger braking distances. And then as long as you know 
about the clutch and how to draw away, then that's fine. I think you're probably only going to damage it if you don't know. Um, it, it, it's interesting you talk about that because the, the, certainly in the social media and Twitter sphere and so on, the, the, there are lots of theories, often from people who obviously haven't driven the cars. But um, the clutch is the issue and also how tricky the Carrera GT is. And obviously you were just driving it, you know, legal speeds on the road. But I mean, Clarkson, when Clarkson tested it, he did that deliberate spinning it on every corner. And that's what people remember. And uh, the reality is on the tyres it originally came on, and, and I think people forget that in the last 15 years, tyres have developed enormously. 100%. It transforms how you can use any, any car, including the club sport. But on the, mo- on the modern super sports, and, and I know people put Cup 2s on it, although Porsche don't sort of officially sanction it, I know people who do, it's lost all of that. And, it, and I've taken it on track, and I'm not the world's best driver, and it can move around a little bit as long as you're sensible, pretty easily. The traction control is a vague suggestion of something in a flashing light. It doesn't actually do anything. <laughs> I did see it. I did see it in a straight line. Um, so, yeah, but... That warning was ringing in my ears when I drove the car. Um, the, the club sport is a gorgeous little thing. You mentioned it just now. It, most people just look at it and think, oh, it's probably the cheapest 911 the bloke could buy. You know, it just looks like an 80s 911, doesn't it, with red wheels. But it's such a special thing. Gorgeous to drive. I love those seats. Um, and as Andrew mentioned, it does just feel rock solid, that thing. I actually just want to talk about the 4-litre. Uh, again, first time I've driven one. I love the 3.8 GT3 RS. It's one of my favourite cars. Um, I'm sure you've had a go in one, you as well. I, I know you love that car as well, Andrew. But where do, where do you get to appreciate the, the sort of added specialness of a 4-litre? I mean, do you need a racetrack? Do you need brilliant, dry, smooth, continental roads? I owned a 3.8 for a, for a bit um, and bought a 4-litre, well, left-hand drive one originally just because. And, and, and actually, I think the 3.8 is a better road car. It's a little more um, supple and, and, and just feels a bit, a bit better on the road. And the extra power makes absolutely no difference on, on the road. In fact, uh, a friend and I recently, the beginning of the year, took out his 3.8 versus my 4.0. And I don't know, we're not, road, we're not journalists, couldn't really notice that much difference, if I'm honest. But um, I, I think they're equally great cars. And, and I, to be honest, I bought the 4-litre. I had an opportunity to get the left-hand drive one a good number and I swapped into the right-hand drive a little while ago. And what I like is, back to my capital capital protection point, there are only 604 litres and it was the last of the Metzger engine. And as an ownership proposition, I just think it's a good ownership proposition. And to be honest, I'd have a 3.8 at the drop of a hat, but I'm lucky to have the 4-litre. But you've got a 4-litre. Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love a 3.8 or a 4-litre. Not fussy. Um, Well, I mean, we're we're very lucky, Andrew and I, to have um, a business partner who's so generous with these cars. It's actually a brilliant resource for us Um, on the intercooler. We can talk about them. We can write stories about them. There will be more to come. Um, So, yeah, I mean, we just need to get through winter, don't we? Wait for the better weather to arrive and find some time to get out to some really good roads. Um, <laughs> you've got some extraordinary cars in there. Um, can, can I, before, before we move, can I just talk a little bit about the club sport? I, obviously, I didn't know what to expect when I got on the Carrera GT, uh, and it was terrific. Uh, the four-litre, I, I know what they're like. Um, I, I can remember, I, I, I've driven those quite extensively. I've actually driven um, that generation of um, 
G-Series 911 with uh, the G50 gearbox, the latest G50 gearbox, um, a fair bit too. But the club sport, there is, there's something strange about those club sports because they are, if you look at the spec sheets, yes, they're lightened and they've got uh, limited sip diff in them. They're meant to have blueprinted engines and that sort of thing. But these are all like sort of little small changes. And yet you get in it and it just feels, particularly if you drive it against a sort of four litre, you know, 997 GT3 RS and Carrera GT, you, th- you just think it's going to be the poor relation, don't you? And it's not, it absolutely isn't. And in that regard, it was actually the most surprising of the three to me. Um, and actually, certainly in the on the roads that we were on, which we've discussed, they were quite busy and it was quite wet and it wasn't you know, ideal circumstances. It's probably the one that I enjoyed driving the most. Um, I think that is a sensational car. And yours, Richard, you, yours has done what, 130,000 miles or something? It's how, that, you know, most of those on 100, yeah, most of those are loads of tens of thousands of miles on racetracks. And it just feels bulletproof, doesn't it? And I love that. I love that about those cars. Um, and yeah, it, it it was just a total revelation to me that a, that a Porsche that old and that apparently not so different from anything else could just feel so so special. It's something Porsche should do really well, isn't it? Because they it's still run, or at least you know, with Proininger and so on. They're just great people who understand driving, and and that car. I'm, I think I'm the fourth owner, but the last two are both mates. And as you say, it spent a lot of time on the <laughs> ring, a lot of time on the ring. But it's it's a bit of a trigger's broom. And and, and I think with all these cars, you talk about them have, being ready to go and on charge and so on. But I get everything serviced every year. And uh, I find people who I trust. And all my Porsches, other than the Carrera GT, are looked after by JZM, and every year they look at it and we do a bit a bit to it. So on that car, I've had the suspension rebuilt. I've obviously had the brakes done, had the engine rebuilt at 125,000 miles, um, and it just is beautifully done. And and so I think it's it is important to run to keep these, particularly the older ones, keep them serviced and and do what you need to do with them. Because that enables you just to get in and, and start them and drive them. And I took the, I took the club sport out just last weekend and did 250 miles, I think. And it's just perfect on B roads and yeah, brilliant car. But the Cayman R I thought was a great car and was quite different to the Cayman S with very very little in terms of spec difference. And they they just seem to be able to do it. And and, and on your one in one out basis, if you had to get something, what would go to make space for it? So what would it be, and what would you what what, what would you get rid of? It sounds terrible, doesn't it? But I, I, if there's something I really have my eye on, I'll sort of do it. So I'm, 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 I'm up to speed at the moment. Actually, I have to say, I think I'm. And with COVID, clearly with the lockdown, I didn't use the cars as much as I wanted. So my real focus now is using them. So your most recent acquisition, I think, was the M635 CSI. Well, the Aston. Oh, apart from the Aston, yeah, the Aston. Um, yeah, you don't really approve uh, of the Aston. I know that, but I uh, do. I do approve of the Aston. I, I, I approve. I, I approve of, uh, of it more than the one you sold. I think it was definitely. A, I think that was absolutely a uh, a good move. Um, but the M six three five C is a terrific car. Yeah, that that when when I was in my teens, before I even drove, my my father's cousin was. Um, really into cars and he was actually wasn't clerk of the course but he was something at brands hatch and i remember 
him buying a brand new 633 CSI in the day. At the time, my dad had an Austin 1800, I think. So Uncle Peter turned well, up and turned crap. my head and yeah. uh, drove me around Brands, like the, you know, the GP circuit in that, in black car, always, always wanted one. Never really found one. Then they were out of favour and they were all sort of rotting away. And this one just came up. Um, actually, Barney House at Classic Heroes had it and I've dealt with him before and it was just there and low miles. I knew the guy had owned it before and I, and I bought it and I just love it. Absolutely love it. But there's always a reason, you know, why they pique your interest somehow and to get to own it is, is a privilege. That one I know you need to drive again at some point. <laughs> it's a long list of cars of yours that we need to drive. We will do that again at some point. Um, well, Richard, thank you for coming on and for telling us about the realities of supercar and sports car ownership um, in an insight that actually, you know, me and Andrew couldn't have offered anybody. So yeah, thanks for coming on. And we, we will make use of your brilliant collection of cars, um, particularly when the weather's better. We'll, we'll photograph a few, we'll jump in and out and drive some and it'll be good fun. Um, So again, yeah, thank you for joining us and thank you everybody for listening. Uh, We'll be back to talk to you again next week. Um, And finally, thank you as well to JBR Capital for coming on board as a podcast sponsor. We do appreciate that a lot at JBR Capital on Instagram or jbrcapital.com online. Go and fund your passion. Um, Thank you both. And we'll talk to you all again next week. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.